Hello and welcome, Nationals fans, to the Dogcast, the consistently inconsistent podcast. I'm your host, Blake Finney, and I think they should have settled Sunday's games on penalties like they did with the World Cup. Not sure how that would work, maybe. Throw it in the strike zone as a scored penalty. Joining me later on is Jake Devereaux from Over the Monsters. Look ahead to the series with the Red Sox. But first off, we look back on the Phillies series, and it's been a theme lately of Another series lost, and it is getting harder and harder for the Nationals to come back in the National League East and potentially wildcard race. Obviously, divisional rival, you wanted to come out of this with at least a split. They had Aaron Nola going on Thursday, so that made it a tough ask to get a lot more. And they came out flat, so they had three one-run losses in the series, and that's pretty brutal. And they could have gone either way, and the Nationals couldn't quite come up with the clutch hitting. In terms of player of the series, I think I've gone with Anthony Rendon, who went two, went seven for 17 with two home runs, five RBIs, and four runs. Uh, and he's been a key cog to this lineup, especially with the struggles of Harper, Murphy still trying to come back healthy. And he's been a consistent presence in there ever since he got injured in April and came back. He's been in about 317, I think. So you need to have him in the lineup. And unfortunately, he couldn't come up in the big scenarios during this series. There were some um, some moments where he struggled. Obviously, he had the sack fly, but I think he uh, I think he flew out in a later plate appearance. Also, his uh, his favorite player, Trey Turner, also went nine for eighteen during the series: seven runs, one home run, two RBI, one stolen base, and then two caught stealing via Alfaro, who seemed to light up the stat cast meters. And I think his uh, his caught stealing on Friday, I believe, maybe Saturday, uh, was the fastest pop time and the fastest throw from home to second in the StatCast era, and that dates back about four or five years now. So it's pretty impressive stuff, and you need to be that good to get Trey Turner. There were some saying that the steal in the 11th or 12th inning was a bit controversial, but I fully endorse that. With, with two outs, you've got to go for it, get a runner in scoring position, and hope you can get a base hit. Obviously, we'll, we'll never know because Soto had the bat taken out of his hands in that case. And we also saw Adam Eaton having a, a good series, 5 for 15, big two RBI hit on Sunday. Uh, so the top of the lineups producing, if you have Eaton, Turner and Rendon having occupying the top three, you can start scoring some runs there. And then hopefully when Harper heats up, when Murphy heats up, they are going to heat up. They're too good not to. They're both hitting under 220. I think Harper's now at about 217, Murphy under 200. They are going to heat up. If you really think they're going to hit under 200 for the season, then I don't know what you were watching last season. They were two of the Nats' best hitters. Uh, and after the game, Adam Eaton talked about offensively, they've got to do more. And he told Mark Zuckerman of Masson, plain and simple, they've got to score early. They can't coast, which is what they've been doing a lot, especially if you look at Thursday's game where they got one run off Nola early and then coasted until the last last inning where they scored two and couldn't quite complete the comeback. So they need to keep going. And the talent's there to be a dominant offense in the league. You you might have Pedro Severino hitting eight, but those top seven should be hitting a lot better and driving in a lot more runs than they are doing. So hopefully we can start to see that progress. Health shouldn't be an excuse anymore. Murphy's been back, what, a couple of weeks now. 
Harper needs to hit. There's no health issues there. Uh, Rendon, obviously hitting well. And now Adam Eaton's been back a while. So health isn't an excuse. They need to hit, plain and simple. The pitching is starting to bounce back a little bit. That was... Um, that was what was their building block in the excellent May that they had. So Tanner Roa bounced back, six innings, seven hits, one earned run, three walks, five strikeouts, and he's got the second highest strikeouts per nine innings, nine innings in his career with 7.7. So hopefully if he can keep that up, we can start to see him get that ERA back down below four where we know it can be. Uh, and also Geo started off quite nicely, retired 12 of the first 14 hitters he faced, but then the wheels came off in the fifth inning and he gave up Three runs, he walked one in, which if you know Gio, you know he'll be really disappointed in himself for. And I think David Martinez made the right choice, given how good Gio was in those first four innings. You've got to rely on your guy. You can't have that quicker hook on a guy who you want to get five, six innings out of. And obviously, I think they pinch it for him next inning. The bullpen was pretty good throughout this series. Uh, obviously, we saw it blow up in the first game against Tampa Bay, but... Uh, especially on Sunday, the bullpen went seven scoreless innings before Andrew Knapp's walk-off home run. Uh, Justin Miller looked pretty good until that that very home run. He struck out, um, back striking out batters, and uh, I think he had a scoreless appearance as well. So hopefully he can keep that up, and the Nats only need him to be a mid-leverage role guy with Doolittle, Kinsler, and now Kelvin Herrera, potentially Ryan Madsen. That's a pretty good back four. We did see Sammy Solis option AAA for Jeremy Hellickson. Hopefully that eases workload. And they also said they wanted to work on getting lefties out. In the end, it was a bit of a numbers game for Solis. He was the only member of the bullpen with, with an option remaining. So that's kind of how that worked rather than getting rid of Sean Kelly, who they would have to eat the rest of the contract for. Um, maybe if they want to free up a 40-man roster spot, if they need to bring someone else on, potentially a starter goes down and they need to bring up, I don't know, Tommy Malone maybe or one of the other hitters from AAA, then you might see them make a move to get rid of Kelly. But to bring someone back who was already on the um, already on the 10-day DL, they just want to keep as many people as they can. They didn't need to free up that 40-man spot. So that was the logic behind that. And we also saw Brandon Kinsler come back with two shutout innings in his return. Maybe we see him go into the seventh, maybe the eighth. Uh, that's a bit fluid with Kelvin Herrera. We saw Herrera come in. He's come in in trailing games, obviously, and that's been trailing a lot. Um, so we'll see how that works out, but it's definitely good to have him back. And having all the top-end bullpen arms, you start to bump down guys like Madsen, who would be a great middle-inning middle guy. Matt Grace pitching in the middle innings, can eat a few innings. Justin Miller pitching in the middle innings. And then you really start to build that really good bullpen that, a lot of teams crave these days. So although it was a rough series, there's things that the Nets can look back on it in a positive light. And albeit the Red Sox are coming into town, they've got um they've got that tricky series that I don't know. I have a feeling they could sneak a series win, but I'm back in the Red Sox to win this one, not to spoil <laughs> spoil what me and Jake are gonna talk about in a second. Um but then you've got three series. You've got the Marlins, you've got the Pirates and the Mets. So that's a great chance to go on, I think it's 11 games against them. So if you can pick up eight wins out of those 11 games, then you're starting to climb back into it. And they're only two games back in the wild card. It's not like they're miles back. And if you can sneak a wild card, you've got Max Scherzer. Gives you a pretty good chance. So 
we'll see how that plays out. And it's a devastating loss, but it's not an end of the season type loss. I think they're going to have to wait till the All-Star break, see where this team is. If they start hitting before, then climb back into it. Then maybe you see them go in to buy at the deadline, get a catcher, potentially a starter, depending on Steven Strasburg. Uh, and you can never have enough bullpen arms. So before everyone goes into full-blown panic mode, it does ease up before the All-Star break, and that's going to be the best time to evaluate what the Nationals should do uh, at the trade deadline. So joining me now on the podcast from Over the Monster and the Red Seat podcast is Jake Devereaux. How are you doing, Jake? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me today. No problem at all, and uh, hopefully it's not going too bad, obviously. We're recording during Sunday Night Baseball, and it's not been a great start for the Red Sox. No, it hasn't. It's uh, 6 nothing in the top of the third right now as we're recording this, and uh, David Price is just getting pounded by the Yankees. So uh, certainly not unpredictable, but not what I was looking for. No, definitely not. And, uh, yeah, it's not exactly unfamiliar for David Price to forget how to pitch against the Yankees. Yeah, you know, whenever you actually need David Price, he turns to uh, he he seems to disappear. So it's a, it's very inconvenient for the two hundred and seventeen million dollar man. Yeah. Uh, so obviously, Jake's joining us to look ahead to the net series with the Red Sox. So so far in twenty eighteen, the Red Sox are fifty six and twenty eight. Although it's looking like it'll be twenty nine, they lead the AO East and they also lead. Uh, Major League Baseball in runs, average OPS, and stolen bases. So it looks like the Red Sox have got a pretty consistent offense so far this year. Yeah, the offense has been amazing. Um, and part of that has to do with the addition of J.D. Drew in the offseason, who's having just an incredible season. Uh, I think you on, mean J.D. Martinez. Yeah, J.D. <laughs> Martinez. Yeah, J.D. Drew. Um, yeah, that, that shows you how long I've been following the team. Um, yeah, So, yeah, Martinez, I mean, the guy's already got 25 home runs or so. I think he might even have 26 by now. Um, But he's leading baseball. He's on pace to have the best season that he's ever had. So, obviously, that's a huge part of it. But I actually wrote about this at Over the Monster a couple days ago, Um, the addition of a new hitting coach, uh, Tim Hires, and the uh, addition of Alex Cora uh, in the offseason really changed the approach of the team in, in regards to hitting um, they're hunting for more pitches uh, in the zone. And uh, actually the data, the plate discipline data really backs that up right now. So um, basically every single member of the Red Sox uh, lineup has been swinging at more pitches in the zone. And the majority of the Red Sox that are having really good seasons have also cut down the amount that they're swinging at pitches outside of the zone. So it's been very much, uh, a whole team shift uh, in addition to the addition of J.D. Martinez. Yeah, and they didn't exactly have a bad core to start off with uh, with the likes of Betts, Benintendi, etc. Right, and you kind of anticipated that all of those guys were going to have better seasons than they had in 2016, or uh, 2017, I should say. Um, especially, you know, Betts didn't come close to what his 2016 season was. Uh, Xander Bogarts was injured the majority of the season last year with that hand. So, yeah, there were a lot of things. And Andrew Benatendi being a rookie, he, we've seen a huge jump from him too. So uh, it's been really nice to see. Mitch Moreland's been uh, much better than anybody really anticipated. Uh, Brock Holt has really returned to form as well. So that's been important with Dustin Pedroia being out. So, yeah, it's been uh, it's been amazing to watch this offense really transform from what was a pretty mediocre uh, unit last year to 
pretty much the best offense in baseball right now. Mm. And then up there with the with the Red Sox in terms of offense are the Yankees, who they are in the middle of finish up the series with. Uh, they dropped the the Red Sox dropped the opener eight one. CC Sabathia dealt for seven innings, and then the Red Sox pounded out eleven runs on Saturday. And Chris Sale was historically dominant. I know people drew Pedro Martinez comparisons in that start, and then obviously the Sunday night game isn't quite going to plan for the Red Sox. So it's it kind of makes sense with these two teams having great offenses that it's been potentially three blowouts in this series. Yeah, it kind of does. Um, especially with that first game, the CC Sabathia start, that was one that I was a little bit apprehensive about as a Red Sox fan because uh, CC Sabathia has had a lot of success against the Red Sox over the last few years. Uh, he seems to be able to really know how to pitch against this team. And plus the Red Sox offense, uh, the one knock on them that you could have is the fact that they've struggled against left-handed starters this year. Uh, so that has been a big issue. So I did kind of expect that one. Uh, I wasn't expecting Chris Sale to be quite as good as he was. That was really nice to see uh, against the Yankees. I was actually at his first start in April against the Yankees at Fenway, uh, where he also had an amazing game, but he did it very differently. The Chris Sale that we're seeing now versus the Sale that we saw in April, I mean, he's regularly hitting 100 on the radar gun. And I remember the night that I was there, it was a cold day in April. Uh, it was one of the coldest games actually in Fenway history. Uh, in the month of April, and uh, he was throwing like 89-91 for a lot of that game and still dominating. So it's been interesting to see Sale this year. And in fact, the numbers uh, say that Sale's been a better pitcher this year uh, than he was last year, which is sort of amazing uh, considering he's been much more economical as well. Yeah, I'm kind of glad that that we're going to avoid him. Obviously, it would have been nice to watch him go up against, say, Max Scherzer, but I guess with the Nets struggling offense, they could do without facing potentially one of the best pitchers in the American League. Yeah, never a bad thing to avoid Chris Sale if you're a fan of a different team. <laughs> uh, so in terms of players to watch this series, obviously I think everyone's going to have J.D. Martinez and Mookie Betts circled on their cards, but kind of rather than going on about how great a seasons they're having, because I think everyone else is pretty familiar with that, I want to get your opinion on, do you think they could be MVP candidates to realistically challenge Trout this year? Um, I think Betts could. Um, Betts sort of does everything well. He plays defense amazingly well. He runs the bases well. He hits. Um, you know, there's just no holes in his game. Um, you could argue that he had had been having a better offensive season uh, than Trout Um was before Trout, I mean, before Mookie Betts got injured uh, for that short period of time. He hasn't been quite as hot since he came back from that. But um, I think Betts is capable of just going on these unconscious hot streaks for a long period of time, uh, and he could get in that conversation. And I think that voter fatigue is very real. Um, you know, at the end of the year, if Mookie Betts has 40 home runs and is batting over 300 with like a 200 WRC plus, uh, you know, that's going to be a player that people are going to consider voting for over Trout, especially uh, if the Angels really fall out of this race. So I think it's uh, it's a lot more realistic than we in the sabermetric community uh, think it should be because, you know, I'm the biggest bets fan in the world, but <laughs> Trout's better. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's kind of funny to just have someone that good in the game. Uh, but, yeah, Trout, he's just crazy good. 
yeah, it's ridiculous. I think he's been on he's been on quite the tear lately. I wonder if uh, it might be something different for New England sports fans to kind of be on the other side of a kind of Brady MVP debate. Is it is Trout the boring selection, and then maybe the voters will go for bets? Yeah, yeah, and I could totally see that happening. But uh, Trout should really get it every year, uh, and uh, I, I would have no issue with that. As good as uh, a career as I think Mookie Betts is going to have, it's it's going to be tough. Uh, well, Trout's in the American League for him to win that award. Yeah, definitely. Uh, do you have any more under the radar players that Nats fans should watch out for this series? Yeah, certainly. Uh, two guys come to mind in the Red Sox lineup. Um, Nats fans might not be aware of the jump that uh, Andrew Benintendi has made this year. Uh, he's been batting second for the team most of the season, but um, Benintendi sort of started off the year kind of cold. Um, he wasn't playing very well at all, and over the last month and a half or so, uh, he's really been one of the best hitters in all of baseball, and he's been far above average. Uh, when you look at all of his metrics, I mean, the guy's having an excellent season. So I think that he's someone at just 24 years old that's certainly worth watching, one of the best left-handed swings in baseball. So if you remember him from last year and you get to see him during this series, I think you'll be really excited as to uh, the type of player that he's already become at such a young age. And then the other kid that I think is worth watching uh, is Rafael Devers, who's just 21 years old, another left-handed bat. Um, but Devers has struggled a lot this year. I think his weighted runs created plus is somewhere in the mid eighties. So he's actually been a below average uh, offensive player for the most, most part of the year. But uh, over the last uh, few games, uh, he's really turned it on. He had a five hit night last night. Um, so I think that he's a player that people should pay attention to, uh, you know, simply because it's uh, it's a familiar territory for Nats fans to see kids who are 20 and 21 and younger. Uh, you guys have Soto and uh, Harper in your history and all these great uh, young players. And uh, Devers certainly fits into that category. He came up at uh, just 20 years old. So he's a really interesting player. And Someone with a lot of power and a really beautiful swing. So uh, interesting player to watch for sure, but certainly not a finished product and nowhere near as good as uh, Soto is right now. Oh, yeah. Soto's out of this world. But, yeah, going back to Devers, I remember he had a he had a fast start last year, and then this year it's been a bit slow going, kind of the reverse of what you'd expect. you expect the slow start and then kick on this year. Yeah, you know, if I had to guess, I think that um, Devers has been working extra hard on uh, the defensive part of the game. His uh, his range, I've noticed, is definitely better this year. He still makes a lot of mental errors in the field, but I think just being such a young player, uh, getting used to the grind of a major league season and trying to focus on developing your defense, it can be really hard to also focus on adapting to major league pitching that's now seeing you for... Uh, the second year in a row. So uh, you're not exactly a mystery to a lot of pitchers at that point. So they know your weaknesses and Devers is going to have to adapt while learning on the fly. So, uh, you know, typically uh, you'd be doing this at his age in a ball where it'd be a lot easier. Uh, Devers is actually uh, younger than everybody on the uh, Salem Red Sox roster, which is the uh, high A affiliate. So that just goes to show sort of, uh, how special this is for him to be up right now. Yeah, I think Soto's going to have exactly the same thing. He's 19 and tearing it up. So, yeah, like you say, Devers isn't the finished finish product, and he does have a lot of power. Um, I think one name that I'm keeping an eye on, potentially, that 
is going under the radar as well is Mitch Moreland. Uh, mm -hmm. Especially with three right-handed pitchers that the Nats are going to throw out there. Uh, they don't throw out a dreaded lefty that the Red Sox would be worried about. Uh, and he's hitting 285 with 11 home runs and 40 RBIs, and he's been an absolute bargain for the Red Sox. Yeah, he's been amazing. Uh, he's played great in the field, and the bat has been far better than anybody expected. So uh, certainly a guy who's deserving of an all-star berth, and I think that uh, he probably won't win the uh, starting job for the all-star team this year, but uh, he'll, he'll probably be in as a backup, which is going to be pretty cool for a guy who um, – you know, didn't get a large contract like you mentioned. So it's uh, it's it's been cool to see him succeed, especially uh, since Hanley has uh, left the team. Yeah, I think everyone expects those stars, but it's those kind of players that are going to turn an offense from a good offense to a great offense if you're getting production from these lesser guys who are going to hit, say, six and seven. Yeah, and we've only talked about left-handed bats, so <laughs> that's kind of funny. We uh, We named uh, most of the lefties on the team. Yeah, it's, it's funny that with three right-handed pitchers, might stack lefties. Um, are there any nationals that you're particularly interested in? You mentioned Soto in the build-up. Oh, I mean, I just can't wait to watch Soto. Um, he's been a player who I've had my eye on for a long time. Um, I've owned him in dynasty leagues uh, for fantasy teams for like two years or more at this point. Um, so, you know, I actually lived in D.C. for seven-plus years uh, went to a lot of Nationals games and went to some of the minor league affiliates of the Nationals. So uh, if there's a second favorite team for me, aside from the Red Sox, it's certainly the Nats. So I'm very interested to watch Soto. Um, I'd like to see Rendon because I love the way that he plays as well. Uh, and Trey Turner. I haven't really got to see a whole lot of Trey Turner because uh, he came to uh, the Nationals just as I was leaving D.C. So he's one of these players that I haven't had a chance to watch uh, in person a whole lot. I've seen a lot of Harper. I've seen a bunch of Rendon, but I'd like to uh, get to see him. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be really interesting. And then on the pitching side, uh, I'm interested to, um, you know, just like everybody else in the world, see Scherzer uh, because he's just so good. In my opinion, definitely the best pitcher in baseball. And that's coming from a guy that gets to watch sale every start. So it's a high praise. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember we, we talked about it before the podcast about there's, you might have Kershaw in the same league, but again, this year and last year with the injuries, Scherz has definitely separated himself. And even like you say, Chris Sale, Luis Severino is kind of ascending himself to the level below, but no one's quite on Max Scherz's level. No. And he just does it. He, he makes it look so easy. And the fact that he's been doing this for so many years in a row now, and he's just so durable and he just seems to get better every year, which is kind of crazy. I mean, where's the ceiling on this guy? He's arguably having his best year uh, this year. Uh, so it's just, uh, it's really unbelievable to watch. And he's someone who I like in his career arc a little bit to uh, Randy Johnson. He kind of turned it on a little bit in his later 20s and uh, has been just an amazing player through his 30s. So uh, that's one of the better contracts in baseball, I think. They uh, they got a hell of a deal on Scherzer. Yeah, it, it's not often you have a seven-year, seven 210-million bargain. Yeah. Um, shame the Red Sox didn't get a seven-year whatever it was bargain with price. No. Yeah, they <laughs> should have spent that money on Scherzer. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think one Soto is going to be an interesting one to watch. He went four for six in the second game. I think he's now 
one of four teenagers to have multi home run games before, well, as a teenager. And the other one of the others is Bryce Harper. But then he did go 0 for 12 in the other games in the series. Um, everyone seems to rave about his plate discipline, which is obviously the case. He walks just about as much as he strikes out. And even though everyone does keep mentioning, no, oh, he's 19, he's 19, when you watch him back, you just forget about that. So I think everyone's excited to see so at this point, except the Yankees. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. I was not sad to see uh, Soto really be a thorn in their side. That was awesome to watch. But, yeah, getting back to that plate discipline, I mean, uh, I remember watching uh, Bryce Harper at this age, and Soto is just even more impressive. And, you know, you obviously can't say that he's going to reach that type of a height uh, the heights that Bryce Harper has has reached. I mean, he has a 10-war season under his belt, but Soto does seem to have an even better, more advanced uh, understanding of the strike zone uh, than Harper did at the same age, and the swing is just incredible. I think that's the reason why I've been so impressed by him, even when he was in the minor leagues, is just those, those walk numbers and the damage that he's been able to do with the bat uh, are just – unbelievable you could see the guy winning a batting title someday while hitting for power so uh just a special talent and the nationals uh they know how to bring these guys along it's really impressive what they've been able to do there yeah and this is before we even get victor robles up for an extended time right uh, but yeah i think soto doesn't quite have the 40 50 home run power that bryce Harper does but if he hits 30 35 home runs that's probably 330 is somewhere towards his ceiling which is incredible um, then you're going to have a, a dominant player in the lineup. And he's probably less prone to streaks as Bryce Harper as well, having that plate discipline. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Uh, Harper is he's awesome, and what an understanding of the strike zone he has as well, but he can uh, get into some slumps, and I'm sure that's something that you guys uh, would like <laughs> to see him uh, sort of snap out of a little bit quicker. Yeah, we know more than ever about the slumps this year. It's been about a two-, three-month slump now. Yeah, hasn't been pretty. It's an inopportune time to have this type of a year, but you know he's the type of guy that uh, could figure it out for the whole second half and just put up silly numbers. Because even with Harper not playing the way that you know you guys expect Harper to play, uh, he's still leading the National League in home runs. So it says all uh, all there is to say about the player. Yeah, definitely, and I think the the on base percentage is still above average as well. So. If you buy into the Billy Bean stuff, then he's still doing his job. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so now we're going to look at each of the upcoming matchups individually. So first off on Monday at 7.05 p.m. Eastern, we have Max Scherzer facing off against Rick Porcello, a couple Cy Young winners. Max Scherzer, 10-4 and with a 2.04 ERA. Rick Porcello, 9-3 and with a 3.60 ERA. And we saw last year that Porcello wasn't up to his Cy Young standard. So obviously he won the Cy Young in 2016, but then put up a 4.65 ERA last year. And now he, he seems to be settling somewhere in between. What should we expect with Porcello in this start? Um, Porcello has been really consistent this year. Uh, it's been really nice to see him sort of pitch a lot more like he did during that Cy Young year. I think during the Cy Young year, he got lucky in a lot of different ways. I mean, he pitched amazingly well, but there were a lot of areas where you could point to in his game where you could say, oh, he's a little bit lucky here. He got the benefit this in this situation. Um, this year, he is sort of pitching exactly to his line. He's about a three-and-a-half ERA pitcher, um, and he shows up and gives quality innings every night. So 
Uh, I, I think he's developed into one of the more underrated starters in the game. And uh, if the Red Sox can find a way to do some damage against Max Scherzer, uh, which is certainly not the easiest thing in the world, um, you know, I, I could see this being a game that the Red Sox steal. I certainly expect that the Nationals are going to have the advantage here with Scherzer going at home. Um, but, you know, Porcello, I fully expect to keep them in the game. He's the type of pitcher that has enough guile to him that he should be able to keep guys like Juan Soto, who haven't seen him before, off balance. And, you know, Daniel Murphy hasn't quite been himself since he got back from the injury. So I think there are some uh, places where he could sort of exploit uh, some of the the hitters who are struggling a bit in the lineup. Uh, Porcello just, he's got a very high pitch ability to him. Yeah. I think with, with Max Scherzer, one thing I did notice is that against the Red Sox, he's 4-4 four and four with a 6.05 ERA in 10 starts, and that's the highest ERA of any team in baseball that he's faced, which most of that's going to be in his Detroit days before he really formed into the Cy Young pitcher that he is today, but that's still an interesting trend to keep an eye on. Yeah, I didn't know that. That uh, that that makes me have a little bit more hope for this game. <laughs> yeah, I think the the team who have the second highest ERA against Max Scherzer is the Washington Nationals. Go figure. That's funny. Now he doesn't have to worry about that. <laughs> uh, so I think you you hinted at it, but which way are you going to lean on this one? Um, I'm going to predict that the Red Sox pull this one out somehow. I think the offense is going to come alive and they're going to get to him. Uh, I think the Red Sox will score three runs off of Max Scherzer and uh, win in a close one. Yeah, I think the the Nationals' offense is definitely scuffling right now, but I'd like to think that hopefully things even out and they can actually get Scherzer some run support in this one. Obviously, he doesn't need a whole lot of run support, but he needs more than the zero runs he got against the Rays in his last start. So I think the Nats could sneak this one, say, 2-1, to 3-2, to two, something like that. Yeah, this one's a coin flip for me, but I, I think the uh, the Nats probably do have the advantage. I'm just going – I have a gut feeling for some reason about Porcello in this one. Mm. So second up on Tuesday at 6.05 p.m. Eastern time. I might have to sneak out of work a little bit early for that one. Uh, we've got Tanner Roark facing off against Brian Johnson. Tanner Roark, 3-9 with a 4.10 ERA. And Brian Johnson, 1-2 and two with a 4-2-8 ERA this season. Uh he actually had a solid outing against the Angels. I think it was his first 2018 start. Yeah, no, uh, he he uh, he did look good against the Angels. Uh, he came on through about five innings, I want to say, uh, and looked really good. Um, I can't remember. I, I have to look that up if it was his only start this year. Uh, he's been out of the pen a lot. Um, but, yeah, he, he knows how to keep guys off balance. He's pitching just about as well as he ever has. Um so he's he's okay. I mean, he's the type of lefty that gets through with a lot of um, location. When his location is on, uh, he can be an effective pitcher, but he's certainly not going to overpower anybody. Um, I could see the Nationals getting to him, uh, especially um, some of the better hitters on that team facing, uh, you know, feasting off on uh, what's a – I think is a below average fastball, and especially if he misses location with that, it can be dangerous. So I'd say that the Nationals probably have the uh, advantage here, but I don't know how the Nationals have been against lefties this year. Can you uh, give me any insight into how they've hit against left-handed starters? I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think they're doing okay. Um, like I said, I don't remember off the top of my head, but 
when you think about it, some of the Nats' best hitters are left-handers. When you got Adam Eaton, Bryce Harper, um, one Soto's left-handed as well. So, albeit you've got Rendon and Turner who are right-handed in the heart of the lineup. So, I, I would tend to say they're doing okay against lefties. Um, but I think it's going to be an interesting one with Tanner Oak, who obviously the lopsided record and not terrible ERA, having three and nine, four ten ERA. He's due for a bit of correction, and he kind of ground out six good innings against the against the Phillies. Six innings, seven hits, one earned run, uh, and he's also striking a lot of batters out. Is that something that the Red Sox are going to be prone to in this game? You know, the Red Sox don't strike out a ton, so um, I would guess that they're not going to be super prone to this. Um, yeah, it's not something I'd worry about. One of the best things about this Red Sox lineup has been its ability to uh, not strike out while doing a lot of damage. So um, that's one of the things that makes them just so dangerous against right-handed pitchers uh, in particular. I did look it up. Uh, Brian Johnson has started one other time for this team uh, on April 2nd versus Miami. He went six innings, uh, one run given up. So, yeah, he's been decent as a starter, but mostly he's been used as a multi-inning long man this year. So how do you see this one going? You said you might lean towards the Nats. I think I'd lean towards the Nats on this one. Uh, I, I I like Tanner Roark a lot. Uh, I've seen him pitch quite a bit throughout the years, and uh, I just think that uh, he could keep the Red Sox off balance in this one. Yeah, I think this all these matchups this series seem quite close, or probably closer than they may appear. Um, I think I'm going to go with the Red Sox. Tanner Roark's had a bit of trouble with the home run ball in his last five, six starts, and I think the Red Sox can get to him. And like you said, Brian Johnson has done all right as a start. We'll see if that can continue or whether some of these multi-inning relief struggles that he's had with that mid-fours ERA come back to bite him. Yeah, it's, uh, it all depends on whether or not he can locate that fastball. So we'll, we'll see pretty early on if he's, if he's got it or not. Hmm. And then obviously, to wrap up the series, we've got Eric Fetty against Eduardo Rodriguez on... Wednesday at 11.05 a.m. Eastern time for the 4th of July. Uh, Eric Fetty, 1-3 with a 6.00 ERA, and Eduardo Rodriguez, 9-3 with a 4-1-1 ERA. And he's kind of got the flip side of Tanaroa with the same ERA. Uh, we actually saw Eduardo Rodriguez at the game we went to with John McGee, uh, mm-hmm. someone who uh, I write for back in the UK. And he seems to be getting hit a lot, and he's also lost a bit of command lately. What? kind of outing can we expect from Eduardo Rodriguez in this one? I'm actually expecting him to get back uh, to good Eduardo Rodriguez. Um, he missed a lot of spots the last outing uh, against the Yankees. He uh, he looked pretty bad there. Um, but Eduardo Rodriguez has had a lot of really good starts this year, and I think um, looking at what Eric Fetty has done over the course of the year, it hasn't been particularly impressive, and he's still – a relatively young guy. So I would tend to lean more towards Eduardo Rodriguez. The frustrating thing about Rodriguez, and I think we talked about this when we were at the game together, is that he has three above average pitches, but he rarely throws all three above average pitches uh, at the same time with the correct sequencing. And too often he falls in love with one of these offerings, whether it's his fastball or his slider. And his fastball is above average for a left-handed starter. I mean, he can pump that thing in the mid-90s, which is pretty impressive. 
Um, but he needs to learn how to mix his pitches. And he's been doing a better job of that most of this year. Um, but when that gets away from him, you see what happens, especially against a good offense like the Yankees or or like the Nationals. It can really get away from him. But this one I have the strongest feeling about uh, for the uh, the Red Sox. Yeah, I'd probably, um, I'd probably pick the Red Sox. Eric Fetty, I've been a huge fan of people who listen to the podcast will hear me go on and on about him. And he's been a bit unlucky with the home run ball. He, he allowed three home runs throughout 2018 in the minor leagues as the Yankees hit another home run against the Red Sox, I think. Uh, <laughs> uh, but he allowed three home runs in the minor leagues the whole season. And now he's allowed, I think it's five or six in the majors. So this isn't the type of pitcher that he is, but the Red Sox do hit home runs for fun. So if it's turning into a theme, it's one that the Red Sox can really get after him. And like you say, I would definitely lean towards the Red Sox, but who knows? Eduardo Rodriguez hasn't been great in his last few outings. Last four starts, 5.4 ERA, seven walks to 17 strikeouts, and he's allowed a few home runs as well. So maybe not one-sided, but heavily leaning towards the Red Sox. Yeah, certainly a, a good chance for Fetty to perform well at home. So, um, just to give you know, some uh, more background on that home run the Yankees just hit, that was by <laughs> Kyle Hageshioka, uh, the backup uh, catcher for the uh, first Yankees. major league hit, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, that's great. That's just great. That just sums up what this night's been like for the Red Sox. <laughs> I'm used to the. Um, I think the the Nationals allowed some. I think it was Joseph L. Valentin for the Phillies. They he hit a home run as well. So I'm used to that being the Nationals, but we'll see. Uh, <laughs> how do you how are you looking forward to that 11:05 start? I think that'll be really cool. Um, I have never had an opportunity uh, to go to the Fourth of July games. I've you know been part of a lot of the. Uh, celebrations uh on the fourth of july in the nation's capital and those have always been really cool um but i think it's going to be really cool to get an 11 o'clock start game and the red sox obviously have one on patriots day which is awesome and such a great tradition so it's nice to see someone else uh, have that same sort of start time and i just think there's a cool energy uh throughout that entire day you get the baseball game and then you can go watch the fireworks at night it's just a really cool day so uh, anybody who's lucky enough to have tickets to that game is going to you know, probably have a pretty awesome time. So I'm pumped for that, and I love the idea that I get to sort of wake up and uh, have my coffee and uh, watch some baseball. So it's, a, it's really a good treat for me. Yeah, I don't think there's any uh, World Cup soccer on. He says soccer through gritted teeth. So, yeah, nice opportunity to wake up at 11 o'clock. Um, and, yeah. Watch some baseball. I've I've been a fan of it back in the UK, having it on at four o'clock. Um, so yeah, it'll be certainly different watching it at eleven because I think the Red Sox Patriots Day game this year was postponed, so I didn't get the chance to watch that this year. Right. Yeah. Uh, we did have one listener question come in, uh, and he said, "Is there any way the Nationals can stop the Red Sox from sweeping?" And I think uh, my little note says, uh, "Max Scherzer." That's uh, <laughs> that's a, that's a pretty good way to avoid a sweep. Yeah, I mean, the, the whole thing is if you can uh, hold this offense down, you're going to be able to, uh, you know, perform well against the Red Sox. It's just it is an incredibly hard offense to hold uh, to under, you know, three runs, especially if it's right-handed pitching. But 
there's anybody who can do it, it is Max Scherzer. Yeah, I think you, you mentioned that they're not prone to strikeouts. I think that goes out the window with Scherzer. It yeah. wouldn't surprise anyone if he strikes out, say, seven, eight, nine. Oh, no. Yeah, <laughs> even double digits, we wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be shocked. No. Uh, I think that just about wraps up. So I want to say thanks to Jake for joining me today. And where can our listeners find you in your work? Uh, you can find all of my writing uh, at Over the Monster, um, uh, overthemonster.com. Um, and you can follow my podcast if you want to listen to a Red Sox podcast. It's called The Red Seat. Uh, you can find that on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, it comes out weekly, and uh, we talk about the Red Sox. So uh, it's a good listen. Give it, a, give it a try. Check it out. Awesome. Uh, remember to check out some of our content on site this week. Ross looked at Matt Adams and why he's so important for the Nats and obviously a huge loss at the moment. And then Brian Foley also looked at how Juan Soto stacks up against the other National League rookies for Rookie of the Year. Remember to follow us on Twitter at District on Deck. Give us a like on Facebook, District on Deck. You can subscribe to us on Spreaker, iTunes or Google Play and you'll get episodes automatically downloaded. We'll be back at midweek as we look ahead to the Miami Marlins' first trip to Nats Park. So we'll see you then. <laughs>